This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. That's uh, that's an oof situation. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watched season six, episode 12 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Double Meat Palace. As well as Gilmore Girls, just like Gwen and Gavin. Oh wow, what a Buffy. Yeah. You know what? I remember disliking this episode the first time I watched it, and I'll say, I, I don't know that I'm like in love with this episode now, but it is better than I remember it. Great. And I do not want a double meat palace burger. No, they seem, I don't know, I bet the burger part's good, but there's, the, the, the chicken's a lot for me. I, I just, I don't have any desire to mix those meats. Well, now that we know the truth about the meat, too. Um, yeah, now that we know the truth. How are you, Brian? You were a little sick last week. We mentioned I had yeah. gotten you a little sick. Let's talk about that, a little <laughs> update on that. Um, so in the last podcast, I felt not great. You know, I had been sick a day or two. And as the podcast went on, I just kept not feeling great. And then right after the podcast, I was like, I feel like I have a fever. Sure enough, turns out I had a little bit of COVID. Yeah. We kind of made a joke out of it because I had been literally a little sick. And I was like, I got you a little sick. No big deal. Yeah. I seem to be over it now. I also never got it. What we, we don't or, know. Or that little bit of sickness was you had it. Now Stacy got the newest booster, the bivalent booster. So it's possible she got it, but like her vaccine was like, yeah, I'm ready for this. This is what I was built for. It just knocked it out. But she still transmitted it to me and I had not gotten the booster yet. So my body had a little tougher time dealing with it. The day he tested positive, the day we recorded that podcast, my show was in two days. And I was like, I cannot miss my show. Like, I'll right. lose a lot of money. We'll have to cancel it if I can't do it. So we decided to just, like, quarantine from each other. Yeah. Which maybe helped. Or it's possible that I had it and gave it to you. But I went and got a PCR test. I was negative, And I've heard those are super sensitive even after you get rid of it. So you'd think that would have detected it if I had had it. Right. So I don't know. Either my vaccine really helped me not have it bad enough to really do much at all, or it kept me from getting it altogether from you. It's yeah. possible I could still get it from you, but I don't think so. It's been a while now. Well, I think by today I'm not contagious anymore. But Yeah. And I, I still have had these like tiny little symptoms all along. Like the whole time you've had it, I, I still wake up with like a slightly runny nose. I don't know. It's weird, man. But you're mostly better now? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any symptoms anymore. From it. I also took Paxlovid, which probably Ooh. helped quite a bit. But I will say, oh my God, Paxlovid mouth is real. Mm. It's like if someone took a grapefruit and they're like, what about just that like weird bitter taste all over your mouth forever? <laughs> it's just so gross. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, I, when I was doing the podcast last time, I had COVID. So I apologize if I got any of you infected. <laughs> um, I don't know how COVID works, but I assume I, I got many of you sick. Read the taste, we got you some hard candies, and that seemed to help at least temporarily. Yeah. If you ever but have. But the second you stopped yeah. sucking on hard candy, it's like, I'm back, full force. You want to know what nickels taste like? Well, I'm glad you're mostly better now, except your shoulder. Yeah, I hurt my shoulder somehow. I don't know. We're a mess. <laughs> just a mess. I'm a mess. Well, we do have a couple five-star reviews. Ooh. Thank you so much to Vintage Kellogg and A. Jacqueline. Thank you very much. A. Jacqueline said that they heard about us from a Charmed podcast. That's interesting. 
Well, that makes sense. We give very accurate and very insightful, charmed <laughs> recaps. I would love to know more about what podcast this is and what they said exactly. It's funny to me that a charmed podcast has been made aware of us. <laughs> I mean, we can collab. Also, still trying to figure out what episode of Doug Loves Movies we were mentioned in. Yeah. I listened to a few. I couldn't find it. The person who said that reached out and said they didn't remember. So if you also listen to Doug Loves Movies and have any idea, I would love to figure that out. They probably talk about how accurate our charmed recaps are. I just, I want to let Doug know our deal because he might remember us. Yeah. I mean, he smokes a lot of weed, but he might remember us. We have hung out a few times. We should just reach out to him. Yeah. Wouldn't be crazy. Okay. Should we get into this, dude? Yeah, I'm ready to get into it. I'm COVID-free and ready to spill the Buffy tea. Nice. So this week we started with Buffy. Stacy, please tell us all about Double Meat Palace. So this episode is about Buffy getting a job at a fast food place. And it's weird there. There's something going on. TBD, what that is. But it's immediately weird. I'm sure it's fine. So it opens on Willow, Xander, and Anya chatting over popcorn at Buffy's house about... How weird it is that these three guys are the big bad this season. It is weird. Sounds like Buffy went to their lair to bust them, but they'd already cleared out of there. The Scoobies recovered some of their stuff, including a bunch of magic things Willow probably shouldn't even be thinking about. Yeah, she seems a little excited about them. (laughs) Also, pictures of the Vulcan woman from Enterprise. That's a fun reference. Yeah. She was cute. She was very cute. And like the idea of a very emotionally distant partner, I love it. Okay. Anya gives them a little lesson on capitalism and how supervillains try to go against the rules of the system. Cue the newest member of the system, Buffy, in a real stupid fast food outfit. She's off to her first day at her new job at Double Meat Palace. That's a lot, man. It's like a cow in the front, like a whole stuffed animal cow on the front with like a big peacock tail in the back. Not a peacock, like a parrot. It's a chicken's tail. Um, It's like blue. (laughs) A chicken would make sense. Yeah. A peacock tail? <laughs> Listen, we do cow and peacock meat here, all right? We're different. I mean, they are. <laughs> I never worked fast food, but I imagine the uniforms a lot. I mean, you, you worked semi-fast food? I worked at a Panera Bread for a very long time, and they called it food fast. It's not fast food. It's food fast. And we didn't have, like, a uniform, but we had, like, a dress code. Yeah, you had to wear, like, polo, basically, right? With, like, an apron. Yeah, and then we had an apron, yeah. Oh, yeah, the apron. We dress essentially like Starbucks employees, if, if that makes sense. Did you ever feel bad about the uniform? Not really. I mean, it was food service, so it was like, I don't want to wear something nice, really. Yeah. But Buffy's outfit is like, is bad. She, she's dressed like a barbershop quartet member. It's like a clown outfit. So bright. Yeah. I did work at a Menards. Mm. If you're from the Midwest, you know what that is. If you're not, it's Home Depot, but it's a specific chain that's only in a few Midwestern states. That had like a blue ass Walmart type vest. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't love that. I hated working there. So probably just putting it on was like, oh, you're here. Mm-hmm. Working there sucked. So that's like, I can kind of relate, even though that costume was much simpler. We're reminded at the top of this episode that Buffy's in a bit of a money predicament. They haven't really dealt with that in a while. Giles gave her a lot of money. I assume that was helpful, but maybe not enough to live off of indefinitely. But you, you're offended by the very premise of this episode. So as much as this episode is better than I remember, like one of the things about this episode that just makes me so upset, that makes me not like it, is that premise itself of this episode is insane. Buffy is a world saver, and she's living in a house with Willow, and she was living with Tara, and she is reduced to slaying at night, 
but then also picking up this awful, soul-crushing job to barely pay the bills. I'm sorry, but, like, why is the council not paying her? Why is Willow not working a job? It's insane that Buffy has to degrade herself like this. They pay the bills when that should be something she would, she should never have to worry about bills again, ever. The council, she should be able to call the council and be like, hey, remember when I saved all realities? Can I at least get double meat palace wages from you guys? It seems like they should just make it so that the counselors don't even get paid. Like this is just a complete volunteer organization because they're not making money. How are the counselors? How's Giles getting paid? Who's profiting? I mean, it, we don't know what they do. Maybe they do, like, angel investigation shit where it's like, oh, you need uh, an exorcism? Cool, but it costs money. Like, sure. they probably know how to do that stuff. But if they are profiting at all, which it's, they must be, it seems like Buffy should get a cut of that. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and we've talked about that before, but, like, this episode is like, well, Buffy's got to get this degrading job. No, no, I'm sorry, and I'm upset about it. Her friends, at the very least, should be like, well, no, you don't need a job. We'll help pay for your stuff. I guess we don't know that Willow doesn't have a job, but we never see her. She does not have a job. And she's living there rent-free in her mom's fucking bedroom. They say at some point she doesn't have a job? Well, I mean, we've never seen her at a job. And we never do. Spoilers, we don't see a Willow at a job episode. Also, couldn't they just, like, move into a cheaper place? Yeah, I mean, I I see why they might want to keep that place. It's got emotional significance to them. You know, Dawn's lived there all her... Eight months or whatever. It's just a lot for someone with no job to maintain a whole house. Absolutely. But it's just insanity to me that Buffy has to work a job and slay. You'd think like the initiative would be like, hey, we heard about you and you're doing good work. So here's some money. Like double meat palace wages are like nothing. The government could pay that. It's infuriating to me that Buffy has to get this job. And like Spike addresses that a little bit, but like her friend should, somebody should be paying for her. And I'm like mad talking about it right now. We've said it before, but she should just be a cop. Yeah. And they've said that on the show too. Mm Mm-hmm. Like she's got the skill set for that more than anything. Yeah. And the cops would probably love it. Like, oh, do you mind taking all the demon calls? And once in a while, if a drunk guy's around you, could you subdue them and take, not just a drunk guy, you're allowed to be drunk, (laughs) disorderly drunk person. Oh, I thought you said drug guys, like drug dealers. No, like a doo-wop group. Yeah. That's a Gilmore reference. Or honestly, like be an MMA fighter or something. That's true. Yeah, she could just destroy all the other MMA fighters. Pull your punches a little. Right, don't kill them. All right, enough ranting. That's why I have trouble with this episode more than anything. Is because it's so degrading to Buffy, and she doesn't deserve it. And I don't believe that the government, the Watchers Council, or her friends would allow this to happen. Well, Double Meat Palace is ultra weird immediately. This episode dives right into, like, over-the-top campiness. They have her watching this training video where they explain how the meat is made. They don't show it, but it seems disturbing. Buffy's very bothered by it the whole rest of the episode. It's insane that, like, the the company would even, like, put this stuff... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> out there, you know. Considering we find out their process is very hush hush, you think they just like wouldn't even bring it up? Yeah. So is the video a lie? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just thought of that. The video's not true. Buffy's manager, Manny, the manager, is like a real creepy Rick Moranis motherfucker. <laughs> he asks why she wants to work there, which seems like a question you'd ask at the interview, not the first day of training. But she starts to say because it's the easiest job to get, which is not what he wants to hear. He introduces her to some other employees who seem disturbed, just like very spaced out. Manny tells Buffy to follow their example because they're lifers. We immediately get the sense that this place goes through employees pretty quickly. Like he offers her a locker and someone's stuff is still in it. 
He doesn't seem to think that person will be coming back for it. He shows her around. He tells her she doesn't need to go in the walk-in freezer or this random locked filing cabinet that the pickles are sitting on top of. Yeah, he's like very weird about anytime she does something that he's she's not supposed to do. He's like, you don't need to do that. Very defensive. But then she tries to open the filing cabinet. I would never just open a filing cabinet day one in front of my boss, especially if there's locks on it. Like, Why would she? What could possibly be in there that you need to see day one? Also, what's up with these pickles? They're dehydrated. We later see Manny hydrating them. He's like pouring water over. Is that a thing? Dehydrated pickles? I don't know. I guess maybe they would store longer. I don't know. But actually, pickles store for a long, long time. Yeah. I don't know why you'd have to dehydrate them. It's a pickle process, honey. (laughs) There's like eerie, dreamy music playing over all this, by the way. There's a woman robotically slicing chicken. Buffy seems almost hypnotized by this. I think they want you to think like, I don't know, if you work here, you're going to end up like these people. Or like, if you eat the meat, you're going to end up like these people. There's just a lot of suggestion that Buffy's in trouble if she stays here for too long or eats something. I kind of like this, though, because it's sort of saying it seems like something is happening here that the people because something supernatural or like this is just what happens when you work at fast food long enough and you've got your like soul and spirit sucked from you metaphorically. Right. Both could be true. So their featured sandwich is the double meat medley, which is a burger that also has a slice of processed chicken product, pickles and a secret ingredient. She asked what the secret ingredient is, and he just says it's a meat process. So is the secret ingredient like also a thing on the burger or does the chicken have a secret ingredient? It's unclear. I mean, I think it's clear at the end of the episode. Yeah. It's huge, by the way. It's like bigger than a Whopper. I would say it's like the circumference of a Whopper. No, it's bigger than a Whopper, but also thicker. Dude, it's such a gross thing because it's got the slice of chicken on the bottom that's like processed chicken, like deli meat chicken. Yeah. But it's so thick. Like... If it was like breaded chicken, it'd be better. It's just like yeah. a sli- a thick slice of deli chicken. It's weird. You can like feel the slime on it. You know what I mean? He makes her take a bite of one. It seems silly. Like, is she going to eat the whole thing right now? You're just going to throw the rest of that sandwich away? Like, make her eat one on her break if she like needs to eat one. Mm-hmm. I think she can handle the first four hours of the shift without having eaten one, especially if she's had one before. Puffy's being trained to work at the counter by a nice boy named Gary. When Mrs. Cassini from Stars Hollow comes up to order a coffee and a cherry pie. <laughs> the actress that plays, she's in both. We yeah. talked about this. I mean, yeah, when we talked about the Brussels Sprouts episode of Gilmore Girls, I think everyone mentioned she was in this. Buffy freaks out about how many buttons Gary hits, which was like three. This just seems so complicated to her. She'll never get it. Gary's like, nah, bitch, a dog could do this job. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, Gary's nice. He's, not- <laughs> He's a little mean. You dumb bitch. <laughs> Honestly, Paul Anka probably could do this job. He can point. Paul Anka's pretty smart. Yeah. There's like pictures of all the food on the buttons, but Buffy's already like, I'll never get this. What do I do? SM means small. LG means large. Mrs. Cassini tells her she comes there every day and thinks Buffy seems like she'll be here for a long time. Not like the ones you never see again. Again, people don't stick around. Gary just leaves Buffy to work alone after no training. Zero training. (laughs) This family of five comes up and orders like one of everything. She has no idea what to do. I do think on your first day, they might let you push the buttons, but he would stay next to her and it would be after like at least eight orders. Absolutely. You would watch someone do like two or three, maybe even more. And then they would, yeah, they would just be there the whole time. Because otherwise you'd get these traffic jams if you got confused. Yeah, you need to at least watch someone for like the first half of the shift. So you can learn like different situations. Yeah. 
After her break, she checks out the freezer. Manny catches her. Why is she checking out the freezer? Again, let's like wait a week to break the rules at our new job. I mean, to be fair, I think Buffy's like slayer sense is tingling and her instincts are to investigate. It shouldn't be tingling for the freezer. (laughs) (laughs) You've never been in a fast food freezer. That's where you tingle. Knowing what's in the freezer, nothing should be tingling about that. He reminds her she doesn't need to go in there and that curiosity killed the cat. So she starts to suspect the meat is made of cat. She's really determined to get to the bottom of the secret ingredient. Her friends stop by to visit her. It must be a super slow time of day because they just chat with her at the counter for like 15 minutes. Yeah. You'd think Manny would have something to say about this. He seems very hands off. He just patrols the places you're not supposed to go. (laughs) They ask her how it's going. She mentions how weird this place seems. But she also mentions that she's waitressed before, which is true. She worked at that diner in L.A. that summer. Why doesn't she just look for a waitressing job? Like, it's probably true that this is the easiest job to get if she's, like, literally looking for money tomorrow. But if she's got experience, it shouldn't be too hard to get a waitressing job. It's way more money. I'd argue less degrading, even just uniform-wise, if nothing else. I'm sorry. Someone with Sarah Michelle Gellar's looks would have no problem getting a waitressing job. Yeah. I just, I mean, I'm not trying to be gross or sex. I'm just being real. Like, she would not have trouble getting a waitressing job. No. Remember, you got a job one place and they, like, made you send a headshot. It's New York. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, yeah, in L.A., she'd for sure get a waitressing job, but it is Sunnydale. But that makes it probably even easier. But yes, New York, the first place I worked, you had to send a headshot so they could screen you. Which is gross in its own right. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just just saying she could get a job as a waitress. Her friends kind of poo-poo her suspicions that something supernatural is happening at this place, which you pointed out is a little silly because, like, supernatural shit happens constantly and she's usually right about it. Yeah, I feel like if Buffy's like, hey, something's weird, you're like, okay, well, then you're probably right. Like, (laughs) you're right 100% of the time, so. But also, to be fair to Xander, there is nothing weird happening here. (laughs) Yes. I mean, there is, but spoilers, the thing that's happening has nothing to do with the people here being weirdos. Yeah. Xander orders one of the medleys, which Buffy says is on her. Does she have the power to do that yet? Like, even if she's paying for it, should she be? Well, she gets a free one every shift. They said she that had a later. free one. They showed her eating one. Right? Maybe that was her. That was her hiring bonus. <laughs> While they wait for Xander's food, again, they're standing there for like half an hour. Anya's talking about her wedding planning and how it's not going as fast as she wanted because she thought Willow was going to throw it all together magically, but then she had to go fuck all that up. It's a little weird that she's like enabling Willow, who, by the way, is not doing great in the scene. She's like twitchy almost, like she's like fiddling with the straws on the counter. Yeah. Just to let us know she's not super doing okay. Buffy brings Xander's food on a tray. He just grabs the burger, starts eating it right there. She makes a joke about how it might be cat. That's that. So time passes. It's night now. How long is the shift? Because Buffy punched in at like nine in the morning. Yeah, maybe it would be dark by five. It's dark by five now. But she says that it's a slow night. So like if she started at nine, even if she had like an hour for lunch, she'd definitely be done by six. Yeah. And the first day they wouldn't have her work more than eight hours. So yeah, factoring in an hour for lunch, it's like six. And she's like trying to take a break because it's a slow night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's say she works till six. It must be five now if it's dark. And she's like trying to take a break because she's bored. It's all the same people working all day too. Like time in this place doesn't make sense. It's worse later too. You know what I mean? Like there'd be another crew that came in at like three or four. Yeah, maybe she's working a double. She needs the money. She's not, because the next day she gets asked to work a double, and she acts like that's a crazy thing. Yeah, that's true. Buffy's like, hey, old creepy coworker woman, it's dead. I'm going to take that break. Why not break another rule on my first day? Lady's like, we're not allowed. Buffy's like, yeah, well, no one's here. 
And the lady's like, sure there is. Look. And it's Spike. He's coming to visit her too. So she's taken her hat off even before she saw him because she thinks she's going to go on a break. But I noticed this whole episode that she doesn't wear the hat when he's there. Almost like she's trying to look good for him or at least not seem low status in front of him. Interesting. He mentions the fluorescent lights and how some demons love the way fluorescent lights make their skin twitch. And he asks if that's the kind of demon Buffy is. She's like, I'm not a demon. I don't know why you can hit me, but I'm not a demon. That's about all we get on that in this episode, but I'm glad they're addressing it again. But Spike's like, what are you doing here? You hate this and you're better than this. And you can tell she's like embarrassed and knows he's right, but she sadly tells him she's doing it because she needs the money. He's like, I can get money. Let's go. Let's get out of here. This place will do stuff to you. It'll kill you. She's like, no, I'm working. Leave me alone. Then we see good old Gary out back by the trash. We hear some indistinct rumbling, according to the captions. And Gary seems surprised to see someone he recognizes hiding in the trash. And this unseen rumbling being attacks him. Needless to say, Gary doesn't show up for work the next day. Buffy's again punching in at nine. One of the lifers is surprised to see she came back. Manny tells Buffy that Gary didn't show. Buffy's like, well, maybe he's just late. Manny's like, nah, that's not how things typically go here. By the way, you're on grill today. She's like, what? I, I don't know how to grill. He's like, just think. This is the last day you'll ever be able to say that. Whoa. That's such a funny Whoa. line. Whoa. That's such a funny line. I love that. This guy's just <laughs> full of, if you've got time to lean, you got time to clean phrases, isn't he? <laughs> it's so funny. Just think. This is the last day you'll be able to say that. <laughs> and he says it with such a big smile. The grilling process is very monotonous. So depending on like if you like dealing with people or not, that might be the job for you. Because it's very easy. It's not hard to grill here. God, if you could wear headphones, which you definitely can't, uh, yeah. that'd be really a nice job. I probably would prefer the excitement of having slightly different interactions with people. Sure. So another lifer is teaching Buffy how to grill. It seems very assembly line. Like you just slap the burgers down, you press a button that like times it all out for you so that every burger at every location can be the same because people don't like variation. I've never worked fast food, but I bet this is how places like Burger King do it because yeah. they are all the same no matter where you get mm-hmm. one. Occasionally you get like a bad one. But if he tries to ask this guy what the secret ingredient is, his answer is a meat process. So same answer, but this time Canadian? <laughs> I couldn't find a lot on this actor, but I don't think he's Canadian. I'm not sure why he's saying it that way. It's a choice. Buffy says, so I guess we're going to get kind of greasy, huh? And then this dude just starts doing like a creepy ass monologue about all the parts of their bodies that are going to get greasy. He's like, <laughs> skin, hair, eyelashes, nostrils. Inside your ears? You want to look inside my ears? Poor dude got his ears plugged. She shockingly declines to look inside his ears. You'd surprise. She goes inside his freezers, uh, pickle filing cabinets, but won't look in his ears. Maybe that's where the demons are. <laughs> but apparently he went to the doctor because he couldn't hear, and the doctor told him the grease made a plug, and he got a kit to clean out his ears with a bulb mechanism. Two things. One, this is all super weird. Two, I know this ear kit that this guy's talking about. My ears are weird. <laughs> Yeah, in our sink right now is a uh, a kit with a bulb mechanism that needs to be cleaned. Yeah, I found my bulb. I was going to clean it out because it was buried in the closet. I have hard earwax. It's a thing. Typically, Asian people have hard earwax. I don't know why I do. I think my grandma did, but just like it's hard. You can't like get it out with a Q-tip. You're supposed to not do that anyway. So I got to get it like professionally cleaned every once in a while. Which is weird because you usually, your dentist does it. <laughs> it would be. But you can do it at home, but it's a whole thing. Let me know if you can relate. 
Manny interrupts this whole ear monologue to inform Buffy that she's working a double shift. She says, eight hours? Right after these eight hours? Yeah, just like yesterday, when you obviously worked more than eight hours. But like, how late is this place open? 9 a.m. plus 16 hours would be 1 a.m., which I guess is possible. But they do close at some point. So it seems very late for a place that closes. Also, he can't make her work a double. She's got a kid. He can pressure her. And, like, maybe almost threaten her job if she doesn't do it. But he can't just be like, you're staying late tonight. I don't care if you have plans. I mean, I do think that some bosses do this, though. And then, yes, you legally can fight it. But, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people that, are, that do this. Yeah. I worked at a place where we had set schedules. And then this different manager that I didn't like did the schedule one week. And she's like, oh, you're working Saturday. I'm like, I, I do not work Saturdays. Like, I have a thing Saturday. This place has set schedules for a reason. Like, you can't just tell me I'm working a day where I don't work. You can ask if I will. Sounds like you're not a team player, Stace. But, I mean, the point of a set schedule is, like, if you can't work a shift, you have to get it covered because this is your responsibility to work these hours. So you, like, plan your life around the hours you do work. So she's working the fryer. A lifer creepily pops up next to her to tell her she can go on her break. Spike must be stalking her at break times because he's waiting outside to do some quick alley sex. Again, as soon as Buffy sees Spike, she casually pops off the hat and like fluffs her hair. Interesting. That's like a sad scene, too. We should address that. Yes. It's- because she has repeatedly been like, I'm not with Spike. He's not my boyfriend. It's gross. And then here she is just like giving in to him in the alley because she wants to feel literally anything to escape this hell that she's living right now. Yeah. And so it's not like a beautiful thing. It's like, a, oh, some back alley break sex. Yeah, it's not like passionate. It's just sort of like slow and... Yeah, she's got like a listless look on her face. It's not It's not sexy. Yeah. She's just eating a double meat palace burger. <laughs> it's, just, it's a short break. After her break, she's grinding some meat when she finds a finger in it. She's like, excuse me, manager. I need some answers here. Okay. Very funny pun, Stacey. <laughs> Thank you. He's like, I don't know, we have meat grinder incidents sometimes. Maybe Gary had a meat grinder incident. No biggie. <laughs> Basically what he says. He's like, yeah, it happened six months ago, maybe it happened again. Yeah, if Gary did cut his finger off in the meat grinder, there's all kinds of lawsuits about that meat, but also, like, you better check on your employee, because that's, that's a lawsuit. Bubby's now convinced that the secret ingredient is human, so she runs out to the dining room and starts throwing everyone's food on the ground, telling them there's people in the food. They eventually pull her back to the kitchen where she tosses a bunch of dudes through the air because she's super strong. And uh, Manny fires her because that's, she's a lot. She's a lot. She threw everyone's food on the floor and punched him, essentially. So I get why he fired her. To be fair, Manny's not the villain here. (laughs) No. At the Summy Res, Willow is doing homework slash highlighting an entire book. (laughs) When Amy dropped by to pick up her rat cage, she misses it, I guess. Willow seems not good. Amy's like, how's the whole quitting magic thing going for you? You seem not good. And she kind of shames her for going back to that muggle life and how lame it's going to be to not feel that power anymore. And then she gives her a little gift. She like shoots some magic at her that Willow can kind of just experience. I guess that's the thing you can do. Yeah, I don't know. Magic in this reality is kind of like, I don't understand it. Willow seems stressed out about this because she obviously wants it, but also knows it's like a slippery slope. So she's kind of freaking out. She just starts like touching things and like a vase melts and like a lamp disappears. Buffy must call Xander to let him know to go watch Dawn, I assume. I don't know. We don't hear Buffy's end of it. But then bam, vengeance demon in Xander's apartment here to tear him apart. But it's just Halfrek. Anya's friend, who got a wedding invite but was confused about the message and thought she was called for vengeance on Xander. 
This one looks familiar. Yeah, maybe. A little bit. So Halford just like totally threatens Andor, but then when her and Anya see each other, they have this like super bouncy girly like, oh my God, so good to see you. I miss you. Right. <laughs> Funny. So Andor's like, yeah, I'm going to bounce. So they have some girl time. Halfrek doesn't seem so sure about Xander, and Ani doesn't really get why. Halfrek's not like straight up saying she thinks Ani marrying Xander is a mistake, but she's definitely asking her a lot of questions to get her to think. Yeah, I mean, she's, I don't know what this is called, but she's like acting like, well, do you feel like, she's like suggesting something about Xander, and then Anya's like, are you saying this? And she's like, no, no, do you feel that way? She's like trying to make it seem like these are Anya's thoughts, Mm -hmm. but she's clearly like giving her those thoughts. And the more she thinks about it, the more she maybe realizes, huh, yeah, Xander does kind of correct my behavior a lot. Is that bad? So the newly fired Buffy calls an emergency meeting at the magic shop to talk about the deal with the double meat palace. Ani's late because she's with her friend. Willow didn't answer when Dawn knocked on her door. That's concerning. Buffy shows Dawn the finger with no warning. So much for censoring the hell out of what Dawn's allowed to see. Yeah. <laughs> like in the beginning of the season, they were like, Dawn can't see the ghost. Or like, Dawn can't even be at meetings. Now we're just like opening on dismemberment. Yeah. Meanwhile, Xander's eaten the burger that Buffy brought with for analysis. Did she steal one on the way out? I doubt they would give her one while she's being fired. I like the idea that she was like, I'm fired, but I would like to buy one (laughs) double meat medley. Willow shows up. She's still got magic coming out of her fingers. She's touching pencils that are going all floppy. I guess that's what Amy Spilled does. That makes you like- Makes things floppy. Be able to change molecular properties when you touch them? I don't know. It's an all-encompassing rando spell. Mm. What was that other spell called? The general- A general reversal spell? Yeah. This is a general magic spell. Buffy's decided that the double meat palace business model must be that they save money on meat by grinding up their employees and it's the perfect cover because people expect places like that to have high turnover. It does kind of make sense, but I doubt a big company could get away with that. Right. We talked about this. Like a single establishment could like maybe get away with this, but not a franchise. Not for too long, unless they're like literally only hiring people with like no families. But I mean, every store would have to have at least one person who is fine murdering people and also keeping it secret and is good at it and never getting caught. Like that's too much to ask. And you probably have to kill like a couple people. I mean, unless you're just like stretching the meat with people. You are using other meat. Willow's going to use science, not magic, to analyze the remaining burger crumbs. And Buffy's going to go back to the restaurant, which is now closed, to look for more clues. What time is it? Buffy was supposed to work till 1 a.m. And they're closed now. So it's got to be like 2. Dawn's up. Why wouldn't she call the meeting at their house? For one, Willow shouldn't be around magic stuff at the magic shop. Right. For two, it's late. It's not the only show we'll be talking about today where someone calls a middle-of-the-night emergency meeting, though. <laughs> yep. Willow's trying very hard to do regular magicless chemistry, while Dawn is realizing that Buffy's going to have to work minimum wage jobs her whole life. Not really sure how she's jumping to that conclusion, because she won't have time to get an education. I don't know, it just felt weird. Well, she doesn't have the time to, like, commit to a real career. You know, like yeah. she's going to have irregular hours because demons have irregular hours. Anya finally shows up. Her friend left. Xander's like, hey, your friend was super ugly. You weren't that ugly, were you? Which Anya's offended by. Her Xander sense is high now. She's obviously starting to notice he has flaws. And Willow's science experiment has concluded that the meat isn't human, which is not really sure what it is. I feel like Xander's comment, like Xander's an idiot. So like, it's not crazy that he would say that. But like, I would assume she probably did look ugly as a demon. Mm hmm. And if like, oh, so is that what you look like? Interesting. Like, I, I would not assume she looked beautiful as a demon. 
Right. Or like find a more roundabout way to ask. I feel like I would have looked it up, honestly. If you're marrying a demon, I'd be like, I'm going to look up some of your stuff, like your past. Ask Giles. He saw her. Yeah. So Buffy is back at the DMP where she trips over Manny's foot, but uh, there's no rest of him. It's just the foot. And then the foot says, you shouldn't be here. (laughs) Then she finds a wig that she recognizes from the cherry pie woman. Mm. Buffy refers to the cherry pie woman in this moment as wig lady. I didn't know that I clocked it was a wig when we first saw her. I mean, right. maybe they should have made it more obviously a wig or like had Gary be like, oh, here comes the wig lady. She comes every day. Right. It looked like normal old lady hair to me. Or maybe that would have been too obvious if they pointed out that she was wearing a wig. No, because we don't even know what's coming at all. Yeah. I think they could have pointed out she wore a wig. The old lady's like, yeah, it's a wig. What else am I supposed to do to hide this alien giant snake creature that lives in my head? Hello. The creature comes out to say hi. And by say hi, I mean spray Buffy with some kind of paralyzing agent. So the lady kindly explains that she loves eating Double Meat Palace workers because they're so full of Double Meat Palace food. And she paralyzes them so she can eat them slowly and really savor them. Really, the paralysis is probably just a way to justify why Buffy can't easily beat the shit out of this old lady. Yeah, we should describe the thing. You kind of did, but like, so it's an old lady. The top of her head, snake tentacle thing comes out of her head. It's super long. Yeah, probably like at least as long as her, five or six feet. Six, seven feet. Maybe it's huge coming out of her head. Kind of like the monster from Alien coming out of your chest. It it looks like that sort of with like a mouthy face. Yeah. That kind of shape. So it's like stalking her through the kitchen, like taunting her and how she's going to eat her slow and stuff. I just want to say that I... I fucking love this. I think this is cool. Yeah. I think it's just like a, it's a different kind of demon. Mm-hmm. The old lady aspect, there's just something creepy about this like old lady giddy to eat you. That's creepy. She's not even particularly evil. She's like pretty sweet. I mean, the stuff she's saying is evil. Yeah, but she's not saying it in like a <laughs> way. A little bit. Yeah. It's just creepy though, because it's like an old lady excited to eat you. Mm-hmm. The thing like actually takes a couple bites out of Buffy. Which the show doesn't do a good job of actually like showing like the damage to Buffy at all, quite honestly. But like it's I don't know, it's like a different kind of demon encounter, right? Because she's paralyzed, Buffy can't like it's not like a regular beat 'em up brawl. It's more horror than what you were used to for Buffy. Mm-mm. Like it's a torturous way to die too. She's gonna eat you slowly. So I I kind of love this. It's just a departure from the regular demons that we come across. It looks different than the other demons. It's not a dude in a suit, you know? Her taunting her is just like really like, oh, this is like a creepy horror movie. I like this. Yeah, we that haven't is done this in a while. True. It's like a chase in a horror movie, more so than like Buffy doing karate at something. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm into this. And the snake thing that comes out of the woman's head, I'm going to give it 50-50 as far as how it looks. Like there's some shots where it's CGI and it looks really dumb. But then when it's practical, it looks okay. But it doesn't look as bad as previous phallic monsters they've done right if this lady loves double meat burgers so much why is she eating cherry pies when she comes in or is it specifically the way humans taste when they're flavored with double meat like why is she coming in during the day at all like to to scout to see who eats them yeah she might just be looking around like ooh, who do i want to eat later does she also love cherry pies or is it all just a ruse maybe that's the cheapest thing on the menu (laughs) the paralysis starts from the bottom and moves up so buffy's still got the use of her arms so she's kind of just like crawling along the floor trying to get away from this lady i would have liked it if the old woman made some comment like you're doing pretty well for some like usually people are knocked out already do you think because she's the slayer it's working slower 
Well, her arms are strong enough to move herself along faster than a regular person's arms would be. So mm. even if the paralysis is working the same. I mean, this is a small gripe. It doesn't matter. Willow has arrived at the DMP to figure out what's up. She can't get in. So she starts talking to Buffy through the drive through speaker, which they did set up as a thing earlier. Do those work that way? Like, you'd think it'd be off when they were closed. Also, it wouldn't just, like, blast through the entire kitchen, would it? No. They did set up that it does in this place, but that doesn't seem like a thing. Maybe they've set it up that way since everyone's ears like filled with grease. <laughs> <laughs> also, how did Buffy get in? Did she break in? Because she can break into places. We've seen that all the time. But it should still be open unless she locked it behind her. We talked about this. There's maybe one door that is open because this woman got in somehow. Right. And maybe, you know, it's in the back and Willow tried the front door and it wasn't open and she didn't know about the back door, but she looked when she realized something was up. Yeah. Well, Willow tells her that she's figured out that the meat isn't even meat. It's all vegetables. She also starts to confess that Amy gave her power earlier, and now she feels like she needs it again. Buffy's like, yeah, I'm kind of busy right now. She actually can't talk. She's scooting across the floor, but old lady has caught up to her. The tentacle thing bites Buffy's shoulder, as you said. She manages to turn on the meat grinder, and Willow has now realized she can go inside, because she shows up, she distracts the old lady. She tries to spray Willow with the paralyzing stuff, but Willow gets away. Now the thing's biting Buffy. Willow must find an axe. It's kind of hard to see what it is, but she, like, chops the thing off the lady's head. Kind of rides around on the ground for a while. Buffy stabs it with a plastic knife. I don't think that really did anything, but Willow tosses it into the meat grinder. It pops out for, like, a second. <laughs> yeah, that was stupid little gag. Yeah, Willow, like, screams. She's got a good scream. That was funny. Buffy's paralysis is starting to wear off, and the creature has been successfully ground up. The next day... Amy comes over to borrow detergent because her new place isn't set up yet? No. This is a bullshit thing. This, she's there to Buy some detergent and keep it wherever you're staying in the meantime. You don't borrow detergent because yeah. your apartment isn't set up? Borrow your dad's detergent. Yeah. You think this is just an excuse? Absolutely. Yeah. She's come back to be like, hey, we, uh, we doing magic again or what? Willow's like, no, I can't associate with you anymore. And he's like, come on, is this about the magic I gave you? You telling me you didn't like that? Willow's like, I obviously did, but it's like fucked up that you did that, considering you know I'm trying to stop doing magic. And Amy's like, but I'm your enabler, sass, sass, snark, snark. <laughs> and Willow says, Amy, if you're really my friend, you better stay away from me. And if you really aren't, you better stay away from me. And Amy leaves, but she definitely has this look like, I'll be back to cause more problems. I predict like a big battle between them where Amy like tries to do it again and they get into a fight and she's got to defeat Amy. I don't know. Buffy goes back to the DMP to return her uniform where she meets the new manager, Lorraine Ross. Slade's got a last name. She's heard all about Buffy and the big scene she caused. Buffy's like, P.S. I know the secret ingredient. Lorraine's like, close the door. Let me tell you the whole deal. It is vegetables with beef fat. So it's not even vegetarian. We're just weird con artists with a meat rep to protect. I mean, to be fair, they didn't claim it was vegetarian. Right. It's just weird. It's just like probably beef fat is not as expensive as beef. But she tells her that this is very powerful information. And then Buffy's like, oh, so this is a valuable secret. So for a second, it seems like she's going to blackmail her. And Lorraine's getting that vibe too. And like... Do it, Buffy. Yeah, do it, Buffy. They would pay you to keep it quiet. But no, she just asked for her job back at this hellhole. Lorraine doesn't seem as intense as Manny, but she also makes it clear that she's looking for people who want this to be their life career. And Buffy's like, yep, that's me. DMP for life. 
My prediction is Lorraine becomes her new mother figure and Giles comes back to town to visit and has sex with Lorraine. Well, it's not just sex. I mean, they fall in love. Yeah. He's always trying to hook up with her moms. <laughs> um, so that's it. This is a good episode, Brian. You know what? I don't hate it. I remember distinctly not liking it the first time I watched it, but I don't hate it. I think it's got some stuff to it that I really like. I like the creature. It's very different. I kind of like the idea of exploring fast food as this like soul sucking thing, like metaphorically with this woman. But like, this is also what it's like. I like the twist that it's like, yeah, the secret is that it's not meat, that we flavor it with just some meat fat. That's kind of fun. And I like the Mr. X. I think the episode does a good job with Mr. X. And it's kind of funny. But I still cannot get past the premise that Buffy has to humble herself for this awful job. And no one is willing to help support her financially. She does not deserve that. And it's it's infuriating, honestly. And also, it's sad because this isn't a happy episode. Like, it's trying to be funny and silly. Like, Xander, like, throughout the episode thinks he's been, like, eating cat or eating human. And so that's, like, supposed to be funny. But, like... It's just also so depressing. Like, at the very end of the episode, Buffy wins by, like, going back to this job. Yeah. And then she's having this, like, sad, pathetic alley sex just to, like, feel anything. It's it's just sad and depressing. Yeah. And, like, Willow's struggle is also sad. And that's this is the issue I had with season six, and some people love it. It's just that it's just, it's so depressing over and over again. Mm-mm. So I have to say that I think this is a okay episode. It's better than I remembered, but I can't get past the depression. It's just, it, it, so it's not, I don't think it's a great episode because of that. What, what did you think? I think I liked it the more we got into it. Like, it definitely sets a weird tone right away. Like, yeah. this place is weird. Try to figure out why. Um, the commentary on working in a place like that is kind of interesting. I mean, we find out they are just all like that because they've worked here forever. Like, no one right. there is actually going through anything supernatural. But that's also kind of depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I would say the deeper into the episode we got, the more I liked it. First, I was like, what is happening? Yeah. But I didn't hate it. I do have issues with the way time works in this episode. To be fair, both of these shows play with time in ways that don't make sense. It's true. I think just because this one specifically was telling us times, I'm like, this, what time is it? Yeah. Okay. Should we move on? Let's move on. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed is another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 6, Episode 12, Prince Charmed, after Piper has doubts about the future, Paige and Phoebe conjure up Mr. Wright as Piper's birthday present. I mean, okay, what are the rules here? You could just conjure up your significant other, your per- what? Well, Mr. Wright is in quotes- also, Piper's got a husband, yo. What's going on there? Does she not anymore? I don't remember her not. He was, like, having doubts because he was becoming an elder. Remember? He, like, went to some other plane of reality to hang out for a while to think about shit. So so she's getting cold feet, and they're like, hey, this is the guy you think is perfect, and he's not. Yeah, that's what happens. So she's getting ready for her wedding, and she's getting Lorelai feet. No, they're married, dude. They got married, like, three times. She's getting ready for her vow renewal, and she's getting uh, <laughs> Lorelai feet. And they're like, listen, no, the guy you're with is right. You know, there's things about him. You know, the fact that he's an elder now. Yeah, sure, we get it. That can be troublesome and you're worried about it. But the guy that you think is quote unquote Mr. Right actually isn't. Let us show you. So they conjure up Mr. Right. 
he's like super into her and is like very like suave and like pulls a chair out for her and stuff. Is that what women want? And uh, <laughs> wait, so they're trying to convince her to not stay with her husband? No, no, they're showing her that this like quote unquote Mr. Right that's like checks all the boxes for her is actually not great. Right, because he's a huge pervert and he farts a lot and he plays video <laughs> games too much. And... <laughs> right, is that what right. men do? Yeah. Is this is this a, about me? <laughs> <laughs> You're not a huge pervert. Okay, well, I guess we don't know each other as well as I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but yes, there's a vow renewal, you think? They just got married not too long ago. Yeah, but, you know, once you're an elder, you got to renew all your stuff and do the new paperwork. Okay, sure, sure. So they're having a vow renewal, but she's not so sure about him being an elder. Yeah. And so they show her what seems like the perfect guy, but their point is even the perfect guys aren't perfect. Yeah, exactly. Leo's perfect. And then we see Leo just, like, licking his balls. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm a perfect dude, but I do publicly lick my balls. So yeah, most of the episode is her going on a date with Mr. Right. Her husband, by the way, is fine with all. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say. He's at elder training. He's not there for this. Sure. Yeah. And Mr. Right has like a, an internal clock that's going to go off. So he's going to stop existing at some point. So it's all fine. Yeah, she is a little nervous that Leo might show up at any point and see her on a date with this guy. But I mean, just as she's about to tell him this isn't going to work out, he poofs. He farts. <laughs> <laughs> yes but then he disappears right 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 i just know that in he's a got large a farty cloud situation. of fart he vanishes <laughs> to thin air and piper goes home and um you know she's a little excited because she's like yeah maybe this isn't mr right maybe i'm with the right guy but then leo's just like asleep on the side of his little doggy bed drooling and um she's questioning things still but she does see in her bed that he has brought her some flowers oh that he dug up from the neighbor's garden. Mm-hmm. But they hate the neighbors. Yeah, so the one, Tom Hanks. Al Pacino. <laughs> I think they like Tom Hanks. Well, who knows which neighbors this came from. <laughs> Leo's confused. This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. So then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about Just Like Wedding Gavin. So this episode is about Luke meeting with his daughter and starting contact with her. And also some stuff with Rory and Logan. Sure. The episode opens with Lorelai and Luke being woken up at 3 a.m. by church bells signaling an emergency town meeting. Another middle-of-the-night emergency meeting, just like in Bobby. Kirk is yelling that there's a town meeting, but Luke thinks Kirk is yelling about a clown beating, and Lorelai says, not again. <laughs> so yeah. funny. This whole scene is funny. So then Luke starts telling Lorelai about his dream he's having, and it is also super funny. It's just a super mundane, boring dream of him buying a car. He just, like, goes into all the details. So then I checked the trunk, and then I made sure the car tires had air. Like, just, like, going through yeah. super mundane stuff. And she's like, wow, what a boring dream. It was very funny. Oh, also, Luke's like, well, I guess we better go back to sleep. At the same time, Lorelai says, guess we better go to the meeting. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wait, what? Opposite. Yeah, it's very funny. So, of course, Lorelai then drags Luke to this meeting. Babette sees them, and she's like, oh, did you hear the bells? <laughs> Luke's like, no, we were just going for a stroll. <laughs> so Taylor has arranged this. Uh, he's not there, but he's talking to them on a computer screen via, like, early Zoom, I guess. I don't think he can see them. He can't. He is snowed in at his sister's house in Maine and isn't going to be able to make it back for the Star's Hollow Winter Carnival this coming weekend. So he needs to find a replacement. Everyone's like, why are we all here for this? Miss Patty's like, Kirk, will you just run it? And Kirk's like, yeah, sure. So they, it's solved already. They didn't need everybody there. 
Yeah, it's never addressed why he had to like assemble this at 3 a.m. Yeah, it's because it's Taylor and he's the worst. It's not like he's in a different time zone. Unless he was like up in the middle of the night having these thoughts and like couldn't sleep unless he dealt with it. But like they should have asked him why he yeah. did this. I mean, it's all insane. It doesn't make sense. Also, like obviously Kirk's going to do it. I mean, who else would do it? So maybe they did it because it's a Buffy reference. Yeah, maybe. Middle of the night meeting, even though that's not addressed in Buffy. <laughs> I'm calling it an intentional reference to not address why there's a late night meeting. <laughs> The next day at Luke's, a very tired Luke is barely pulling through his day. He accidentally refills someone's half-drunk tea with coffee, and then the guy's like, hey, this is tea. And he's like, well, now you got a hybrid that's that's really in right now. <laughs> very funny. Okay, I just want to point out, it's like five minutes into this episode. We've already gotten like 10 great jokes. He then accidentally gives Lorelai a fresh cup of coffee she doesn't eat. And when she points it out, he's like, oh, okay. And he accidentally takes both away so she has no coffee. He's very tired. Lorelai asks Luke if he's got any special plans for today. And then he sort of wakes up and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing anything abnormal today. Everything's fine. I'm not meeting my daughter. Obviously, something is going on. He lies. He does. He lies. Hasn't lied necessarily before, but this is a straight up lie. Yeah, it is. To be fair, like, it's still like, should he tell Lorelai yet? Like, he hasn't really met his daughter, really. I mean, he has met her, but like, he wasn't, it's, he has, he is lying. Luke then goes to see his daughter, April. They meet at a park, and she's super receptive to them meeting regularly for him having contact. Luke is very awkward because Luke is always awkward, but she's awkward too. And I kind of love that they're both into having this relationship. Yeah. She definitely is kind of like, what's going on here? But it doesn't seem like she hates it. No. I mean, she seems very open to, like, having contact with her father. And he's, I mean, he's awkward and nervous because he doesn't know what to say. But, like, I kind of like seeing this side of Luke where he's like, I, I would like to be your dad. I don't know how to do it, but mm -hmm. I am trying. You know, like, I like watching trying Luke. Like, these are waters I'm not used to navigating, but I, I'm going to try to do it because I think it's, it's right. She says that she would really love to come hang out with him at the diner next time. Luke is, of course, uncomfortable with that idea because Lorelai is always at the diner and he hasn't told her yet, but he sort of reluctantly agrees because she's insisting that she would really love to do that. Before we go on, I just want to say that um, the show has not said this, but I feel like she is definitely being coded, at least, as being autistic. Yeah. I don't know if the show will ever say that. She takes things that he says, like, literally all the time. Mm -hmm. And she has very specialized, deep interests in stuff. And I hope that they do label her as autistic at some point. I think that would be really cool because, honestly, I think that April is a really cool character. I understand that people don't like her, I think is what I've heard. And I think that maybe because of relationship troubles her introduction introduces. But as a character, I like her. She's, like, really quirky and she's different. And if she is autistic, I think that's inclusive and cool. So I, that's just some thoughts I had. I don't know. Yeah. I like that she is quite different than Luke. Yes. She's very, and I also like that she's she's like smart like Rory, but different, a different kind of smart than Rory. Yeah, I, I've seen people criticize them for just kind of rebooting Rory, but I don't know. I think she's a little different than Rory. She's a lot more precocious. Is that the word? Maybe, and she's more sciency than Rory. She's more outgoing than Rory. Rory was like a shy little ball. Yeah when we first met her where this chick's just like talking to the mailman later but also i think rory's like literary smart like she's like great with words loves reading like poems and stuff and i feel like april's like yeah i'm super into the science math and science that's my thing mm -hmm. so it's not the same well the next day you know lucas and time to think about this he starts to panic he calls anna and tries to cancel his plans with 
April. He's just like, oh, I'm going to be super busy. There's not going to be a place for her at the diner. It's not going to work. We should plan something else. But Anna's not having any of this, and I'm glad. She's like, no, you can't do this. That's not how this is going to work. You can't get her hopes up and make plans with her and then dash those hopes and cancel them because it's not good for you. You can't be an unreliable dad. And she says specifically, she says, you're either all in or you're all out. And I think that phrase is like Luke, like, oh, all in or all out. Well, I'm an all in kind of guy. So Luke then agrees that she can come to the diner. I just want to point out one of the excuses for why she shouldn't come is because mm-hmm. there'll be pans of hot grease swooshing around. Yeah. And they say it a few times that there's going to be grease swooshing everywhere. Mm-hmm. Connection to Buffy? Yes. Um, also, just circling back to April being the type of person that she is. I'm trying to think, like, what what other kind of person they could have made her. Like, what would have been interesting for Luke? Like, if she was, like, a like a bad kid or something mm-hmm. that could have been maybe interesting. But they already kind of did that with Jess. Right. So I don't I don't know like what they have to give her some kind of thing. What I would say is that she seems like a bit of a reboot of Jess's like ha- stepsister. Sure. I don't like like mousy girl like reading in cupboards. It's like, do we have any girls that aren't mousy girls who like to read? Maybe she could have been into like sports or something. Sure. Yeah. I'm just trying to think because I need to give her some kind of interest that's like out of Luke's field of. Or make her, like, exactly like Luke, I guess. I was going to say, she doesn't have to be different than Luke. No. But it's interesting to give him conflict or he has to try to like her. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. I think people have maybe pointed out, since it's the same actress, too, that's the mother of both of those girls. Yeah. Not that they're actually trying to say it's the same woman, but it's sort of just like a joke. Like, oh, did she have another kid and she moved back to Stars Hollow and dyed her hair? Well, Rory's got her own stuff going on. She comes home to more flowers at their door from Logan. And the inside of the apartment is just like tons and tons of flowers he's been sending her. He's still trying to win her back. Paris is pissed because she thinks all of these flowers are making them seem like a target in their seedy neighborhood. She calls her Algernon, which is kind of a funny quick reference to flowers for Algernon. Yeah. And then later at the Yale paper, we see Paris is still running things with her iron fist and it's getting kind of out of control. She berates a writer for splitting infinitives. This is something that you actually are taught in journalism school, that you're not supposed to split infinitives, because technically you're not. But especially now, with the way journalism is, no one cares. Like, no no one really cares. They teach you that because it's like, that's the rule, but break it, because everyone does. Yeah. And infinitive, by the way, is a base form of a verb, so like to run or to shout. Essentially like a verb with the word to in front of it. And technically, you aren't supposed to put descriptive words between them. Like, she wanted to loudly shout. That would be wrong. You'd have to say, she wanted to shout loudly. But again, no one cares. It's insane that she's like picking on someone for that. Paris is a tyrant, and she's lost her mind, and she's got to go. She also yells at someone for her, like the, the team photo that they went with. And Paris is like, I need something candid. And the woman's like, it's a team photo. <laughs> like, you know, one of those like pose, everybody's in a line. Photos. Yeah, exactly. She's got a board set up where everyone has to put a magnet indicating where they are at all times, like at home, in class, in the bathroom, at their desk. Totally unnecessary, totalitarian bullshit. Please, can we get rid of Paris? My question is, what if someone goes to class and then goes home? Do they have to come into the paper to move their thing? No, you got to call someone at the paper and <laughs> have them move it for you. I mean, I, I wouldn't have a problem with a board that was like, hey, when you're here, you check in so we know you're here. Sure. Or like maybe there's a office on assignment or out. That would be fine. But this is, I mean, I still that would be a lot. But like that would be like reasonable, I guess. 
I wonder like how big of a time commitment this job is. Not Paris's, but just like anyone that works there. Like how many hours a week is it? It's probably a pretty big commitment, but it's also like important if you're trying to be a journalist. It would say it's probably almost like a full-time job. I wonder if Yale's a big journalism school. I mean, I'm sure those people have no trouble finding journalism jobs. Rory leaves the paper and runs into a really nice man in the hallway. He's like, are you Rory Gilmore? He's a coffee cart man, and he has been paid a lot by Logan to follow her around and provide her whatever she needs coffee-wise for the rest of the day. He's got like a Josh Gad kind of vibes. He's like super upbeat, like nice guy, really wants to help out. Probably because he got paid so much money by Logan. How many coffees is Rory going to drink in this time period? Like four? <laughs> the most? I mean, to be fair, Rory might drink five coffees. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's a lot for a whole cart. Yeah, but I think this is supposed to be a huge gesture from Logan. It doesn't even matter if she has two. Yeah, it's fun. It is fun. It's a lot. She's like, I don't need this. He's like, well, I've been paid for the whole day. She kind of like rolls her eyes and says, fine. And then he just like gleefully follows her down the Yale hallways with a cart. (laughs) Super funny. Rory then goes to a bar later in the day and finds the newspaper staff complaining about Paris. They initially try to hide their disdain for Paris because they know Rory is her best friend. But she overhears them and assures them that she also gets annoyed with Paris. And it's okay if they want to vent about it. She then wins their good graces by offering them all whatever kind of coffee they want from their personal cart, which is kind of fun. Yeah, she got good use out of it. Uh, Side note, they make fun of Paris for wearing pantsuits. And as much as I have problems with Paris, I think she looks good in pantsuits. Sorry. Yeah, I liked whatever she was wearing. Sorry. that's I've got issues with everything she does minus those pantsuits. Paris looks good this season. Yeah, she does. Meanwhile, Lorelai has some very important guests at the inn. The New England Maple Syrup Council. And Kirk is embarrassing her by complaining about her untraditional booth at the Winter Fair in front of these people. She's going to have Paul Inca tell people's fortune for a dollar. And Kirk, like, is having none of this. And he just, like, straight up asks the maple syrup rep if he would pay a dollar to have a dog who has no fortune-telling experience to tell his fortune. And when the guy's like, I, I don't know, Kirk's like, well, you're no help, and then runs off. <laughs> One of the issues Kirk has is that it's not real. And, like, Lulu thinks that, like, fortune telling is real, I guess. And so later he says he's going to put, like, a real fortune teller booth right next to hers. The tarot card. Yeah. Yeah. And Lorelai says fortune telling is as real as Paul Inca is. She said tarot cards are no more real than my dog. Is that telling us that the dog doesn't exist? (laughs) Like, this has been my, like, theory the whole time is that Paul Inca does not exist. I think she means then my dog telling fortunes. She doesn't finish the sentence. Right. But... She says the words, tarot cards are no more real than my dog. But is, I, is Paul Inca a, a figment of her imagination? Is he like an allegory? Like what? Okay. <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of this. We will. Later, Lorelai literally runs into Taylor, who's in disguise as the Unabomber? Or I guess. Eminem? <laughs> she calls him Eminem. Yeah, he's wearing like a bunch of sweats and he's like got sunglasses on and his hood's up. He just got back earlier than he thought he was going to from Maine. And he's going to use this opportunity to observe Kirk's running of the festival since someday Kirk will probably have to take over and he wants to make sure that his replacement is up to the task. Lorelai has some really funny lines here. One of the things about Gilmore is that they'll have like a succession of like three or four funny lines. It's like hard to just recap them all. They're so fast. He says that he just was able to get a plane out of Maine and she's like, even with the rain in Spain... (laughs) And then he's like, I got to get back. And she's like, yeah, get back to Eight Mile. <laughs> Talking about his clothes, referring to Eminem. Also, when he's listing the things he normally does around the town, one of them is lawn height measuring. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. 
Lorelai then also happens upon Zach setting up for the Tom Festival. He is like losing his mind right now over the fact that he just lost his girlfriend and his band. He's very sad, you know, because of all the things he caused himself. Right. He misunderstands something Lorelai says and then thinks that maybe Lane has moved on. And it doesn't help that Zach then sees Mrs. Kim talking to a very attractive Asian man who he overhears telling Mrs. Kim to tell Lane we'll see her later tonight. So he's like, all right, so Mrs. Kim has already set her daughter up with this, like, gorgeous Korean man. I mean, I've seen the show, but I was like, this guy's going to be her, like, cousin or something. First of all, he looks too old for Lane. He does look too old for Lane. He is attractive, though. Yeah, he is. I know the actress that plays Lane is older than she's supposed to be, but to me, he looks at least, like, ten years older than Lane is supposed to be. Luke calls Lorelai. He's like, let's get together. I want to talk. And it's clear that he wants to talk about April. He's got to at this point because... April's going to be at the diner, and that's where Lorelai lives. So he's like, let's uh, let's get together. It's kind of important. And she's like, well, I can't. I can't even make it into the diner today. I'm super busy. I, I've got the maple syrup people, and, you know, I've got to get ready for the festival. I just have no time to come to the diner today at all. And Luke's like, oh, you're not coming to the diner today. Okay. So then he's like, don't worry about it. That's all I wanted to know. And he doesn't tell her about April. At this point, it's like, Luke, you got to tell her. Like He tried. He did try. It's one of those things where it's, like, kind of understandable. It's got to be so hard. Like, everything's going perfect, and you're going to throw this wrench in that you don't want to upset Lorelai. And it's not his fault. He didn't know about this child. But, like, at some point, like, you got to tell her, man. He should have told that night after she changed out of her wedding dress in the last episode. Like, yeah. he came over to tell her. Yep. She was like, wedding dress? But then what? They watched a movie, and he didn't tell her? He should have 100% told her then. Or after April's like, hey, let's have contact. So then he at least knows, like, okay, so here's the whole deal, Lorelai. I have a daughter, and I'm going to start to see her as her father. At the end, Lorelai and Suki watch with revulsion as the syrup council members all taste test all their syrups, kind of like how people do wine tastings. They even have spit buckets. Lorelai and Suki are grossed out by this. It doesn't gross me out that much. They're just, like, taking little sips. Yeah, I... Maybe putting it on like a pancake or something would give you a more of a taste of what it would taste like on a pancake. But if they're just taking little sips, it's whatever. Also, Lorelai, who are you to judge? I know You're you- are eating some weird <laughs> shit. Like, what are you talking about? I know. Her whole diet is sugar. Yeah. It, it, it was weird to me that they were grossed out more so than what they were doing. I'd be fine with Suki being like, no, because I'm a chef and like I have a palate. But like, Lorelai, shut up. <laughs> like, you dip a Pop-Tart chocolate. Lorelai then finds Logan sitting in the front room waiting for her. He begs her for a minute of her time to ask her for advice on winning back Rory. She doesn't really want to talk to him. She's like, yeah, you're really low on my list of people that I like, and you're not on that list, actually. But he says he isn't done fighting for Rory, and he won't stop until he's exhausted all of his options, and talking to her mother is one of his options. She at first is very cold and angry with Logan. She blames him for everything that's happened to Rory, since the relationship over the last year. To be fair, some of that probably isn't Logan's fault. Yeah, he even says, like, I could defend myself on some of those points. No, but I feel like he's pretty humble here because she's like, are you in a place to argue with me? He's like, no, I'm not. But I think she warms up to him for two reasons. One, because he is here trying to get advice from the mother, knowing that she hates him. I don't know if hates the word, but she dislikes him. But then also she like insults his father. She's like, I hate your father. He's like, I hate my father. That's something we have in common. And I think that maybe is enough to be like, okay, well, that means you don't agree with your father. So maybe you're not your father. That's a good point. Because otherwise I'm like, even if she likes that you have moxie. Yeah, that's what she says. Why would she want you to be with her daughter? But 
I guess maybe she didn't know that he hated his dad until that moment. Yeah. And that was like a moment of being like, okay, so you're not the same person. You don't defend the things your dad said. She also says that he caused her to be in a fight with Rory that lasted for five months, three weeks, and 16 days, which is a nonsensical way to talk about time. Yeah. I mean, if you just, you just, you could group some of those times together. <laughs> yeah. 16 days is, some of those are weeks. Yeah. I really quickly want to talk about this scene because it was really interesting to me. I, it just made me think of some things. It reminds me a lot of the scene in season three where uh, Jason shows up and does something similar. He also shows up at the end saying that he doesn't want to give up on their relationship and that he'll do whatever it takes to win Lorelai back. In that case, Lorelai abandons Jason. We never saw bathroom. what really yeah, <laughs> we never saw what happened to him. I and mean, we heard how he left the inn, but we never really saw what happened to him afterwards. A lot of problems with that story-wise, but forget that. But we got the impression in that episode that she didn't appreciate him coming to the inn and trying to win her back that way. Uh, and there's issues with that, like he's being aggressive when she's like trying to work. It's not the right time. Yeah, she was in the middle of a big thing. But maybe, hear me out, maybe, and may, feel free to disagree with me, listeners, but maybe, this is just my thoughts, she did appreciate it on some level that he was fighting for her this way, that he was like doing whatever it takes, no matter how humiliating, to win her back. And maybe she did see something noble in fighting for her that way, even if she didn't appreciate it at the time. She ended up with Luke because that's her real love, okay? And that's not Jason's fault that she was destined to be with Luke and that they had, like, a perfect connection. But maybe she knew that her ending up with Luke and the fact that that was going to prevent her from ending up with Jason wasn't Jason's fault. Yeah. And maybe she still understood that there was something nice about him doing that and coming here for that. And maybe she sees that here in Logan, a similar thing of a man fighting for the person that he loves and the circumstances with Rory are not the same because Rory doesn't have another love that she actually should end up with. Rory does love Logan. Right. Maybe Lorelai wants to do right by Logan in a way that circumstances made it impossible for her to do with Jason. Sure. I'm sure this is definitely me reading way too much into this, but this is like genuinely what I felt when I was watching it. Yeah, it is an interesting, just because it's like the exact same room, a man showing up while Lorelai's working to fight for a woman. Like begging Lorelai to talk to him and fighting as much as he can for a relationship. Yeah. We never saw Rory tell Lorelai that they broke up. She told her that they weren't speaking, but I don't think we saw a scene where she was like, yeah, we're broken up, you know, after she gets that phone call from Honor. Yeah. I assume she must have told her. Yeah. We'll get back to that later. April shows up at Luke's, and he isn't quite sure how to entertain her. He suggests coloring, and she's, like, laughing at that. She's like, I haven't colored for, like, six years. Coloring's great. I colored the other day. You did? My sister sent me some fun coloring books when I was recovering from COVID. She sent me, like, a Cats Being Dicks coloring book that was really <laughs> yeah. fun. My sister's awesome. And I have, like, an entire box of colored pencils for that very purpose. So yeah. I colored one. April doesn't want to read. She doesn't want to do normal kid stuff. What she actually wants to do is refill his condiment shakers. Okay. The salt and peppers, yeah. Sure. She happily starts filling all the salt shakers and is like scientifically trying to determine the best way to prevent them from clumping. Before we forget, when she shows up, she starts talking to the mailman and like says hi. And when she comes in, looks like, you can't talk to strangers like that. That guy could be a murderer. It could be a strangler. And she's like, okay, I'll go lock up my bike. He's like, you don't have to. This is a safe place. I've known him for 15 years. She's like, you've known a strangler for 15 years? It's pretty funny. I mean, he's like trying to be like a dad, but like this is a safe place. While she's filling these salt shakers, Lorelai shows up. She comes over and starts talking to April. And April's like, wait, are you a strangler? Lorelai's like, no, what? She's like, okay. 
But then Lorelai's like, oh, so how'd you get this gig working here? Do you belong to Caesar? Which is a weird way of saying, are you Caesar's kid? Yeah. Does he own you? And April's like, oh, no, my father owns the place. You know, Luke, my dad. That's uh, that's an oof situation. So then Luke's like, oh, you want to talk outside? And Lorelai's like, yeah, I def do. Yeah, Luke's not in the room when Lorelai first comes in. Yeah, he like walks over and sees the uh, revelation happen. April's like, I checked. She wasn't a strangler. <laughs> Lorelai is understandably upset. Luke tells her that he's known for two months. She doesn't love that. But she does take it pretty well, honestly. She says she needs some time to digest all this. Luke's like, totally, take as much time as you need. He does apologize, and then she leaves. Yeah, because at first he says, like, I just found out. And she's like, just? Like, this seems pretty advanced. She's, like, working for you now. Yeah. And I don't know. She seems peeved. She's not, like, mad, but she definitely doesn't seem happy with the situation. No, no. When I said she took it pretty well, I mean, she didn't, like, lose her shit. Because it's a big reveal from your fiancé. Yeah. Considering the circumstances, she took it pretty well. But, yes, she is pissed. But that's totally understandable. Meanwhile, things at the Yale paper are getting even worse. Paris is making everyone wear caps with numbers on them because she can't remember everyone's name. This is absurd. Yeah. Rory tries to have a heart-to-heart with Paris, telling her about the meeting she had with the staff and suggests that maybe she needs to just scale this back a bit and relieve some of the stress and tension and pressure she's putting on everyone. Paris is like, I got it. Thank you for telling me. And then she just goes inside and tells everybody that Rory ratted them out, and if they can't cut it, then they need to leave. It's funny, Rory's just all like, oh, Paris, <laughs> when she's talking. <laughs> Ugh, it's Paris is so much, man. Rory then goes home to find Logan waiting at her door with donuts and a note from her mother. Rory at first is like, got nothing to do with him. She's like, whatever, go home. But then when she sees that note on Dragonfly Stationery, she lets him in. He was told not to read the letter, and he didn't, so he has no idea what's on it. Rory then reads the letter to herself in front of Logan, agreeing out loud with parts of it while Logan is just sitting there squirming and like begging over and over again to know what it says. Like, does it say give me another chance? Like, what does it say? Finally, she finishes and she agrees to let Logan take her out to dinner to try to win her back. Maybe. She's like, I'll call you. So some of our listeners might be aware of this, but the Logan letter is available online. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think there's like probably an actual written letter for the show that I think is on display somewhere, but I can read it if you want. Read it. Okay, it says, Dear Rory, so right now you're reading my sealed words of wisdom as the tormented, foolish, but persistent cad hangs off every nuance of your reactions, his heart and mind in a dizzying flurry of questions as to how the outcome will play out. As you read this, delight in the knowledge that this lovesick pup before you does not have a clue. Now ordinarily after a fool has taken my daughter's love for granted, if I did not kill him through a slow and excruciatingly painful death, I would instruct my daughter, much like Miss Haversham did to Estella in Great Expectations, to be cold-blooded and calculating, to dash his hopes and crush him. However, this decision is all yours to make. Love is elusive and all-encompassing. When you fall under its intoxicating spell, you have little recourse but to live out its devices. If you love this boy, maybe you wanted to give it another chance? Good luck. Love you, Mom. So yeah, up top, it's sort of like vamping, vamping. You know, you'll laugh at this. Well, he has no idea what's going on. But then she does sort of be like, I mean, he must like you. Right. And that's the thing where I I wonder if part of her is like, I would have appreciated what Jason did if it weren't for the fact that I was in love with Luke. Yeah. Or that I didn't have feelings for Luke also. And it doesn't even say like straight up, go for it. She's just saying like, I can tell he likes you. I don't know if likes the right word. I would say love because Rory probably told her mother that he said that he loves her. Yeah, she must have. Yeah, I think she tells her that on the phone, and then her mother's like, do you think he meant it? And I think him showing up at the inn was like, yeah, I meant it. 
Rory then goes to Lorelai's with a bunch of laundry and is like telling her how brilliant that letter was. She doesn't look at her mom. She like just takes the laundry to the bedroom. She's like getting things organized. She's going on and on about how he reacted to her reading it and how awesome it was. But then she stops immediately when she sees her mother is in distress at the table. Lorelai tells her about Luke's daughter and she's worried what it means about their relationship. Does it mean that he doesn't trust her? Rory like assures Lorelai that Luke does trust her. He was just being dumb. She's like, sometimes guys are dumb. He's probably freaked out, too, and probably just panicked and didn't know what to do. And that this doesn't reflect on their relationship. She says that he's missed a responsibility, and he probably got so panicked he put his baseball cap on backwards, which, like, he always does. I don't understand that sentence. Yeah, I I didn't get that either. It would have made more sense if she said he put it on forwards. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. Unless she meant maybe he put it on forwards, meaning backwards. Oh, yeah. It's just a weird, I was just like, what? I I get the sentiment, Rory, but I don't understand the words. Rory points to celebrities Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale, who went through a similar situation when he found out he had a kid, and they made it work. I'll point out that, sadly, since the airing of this episode, the two have split up. Yeah. So does that mean Luke and Lorelai won't make it? God damn it, Amy. I don't know that she is a doggy swami. She could tell. She has a dog that figured this shit out. She's tarot cards. Uh, But Rory's words seem to get through to Lorelai and help her deal with her emotions. You liked this scene. I did like this scene. I noticed you were emotional. Uh, You know, it was so dusty in here and my (laughs) eyes get irritated and like wet. It's weird. It was really nice seeing Rory really care for her mother. Yeah, she like dropped her whole thing. She was really excited to talk about Logan. Yeah, and she's just like there for her mother. I also like that she sort of gave Luke's perspective Like, yeah, Luke did a dumb thing, but, like, it isn't insane that he did it, and it isn't because he doesn't love you. It's probably because he just doesn't know what to do. Then we get to see the fair. It starts with Kirk examining Tilly's tickets to see if they're counterfeit. Tilly, if you don't remember, she's the really intense little girl who plays soccer for the team that Luke sponsors. Megan, I think, is the other girl. There's two of them. Kirk inspecting the tickets to see if they're counterfeit is something that Taylor definitely would be proud of. That's like yeah. a clear Taylor move. They're like, it costs 50 cents to get in. <laughs> I go through the effort. Taylor is there, by the way, sneaking around the fair like a fool, badly pretending to be a German tourist so he can surreptitiously check all the event's food and booze to make sure they're working properly. Miss Patty sees him and immediately recognizes that it's Taylor. His disguise is bad. He's like putting on all kinds of bad accents. I think they reused the actress that played Tilly's mom as the, the cider booth lady. Well, it could just be Tilly's mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it is. Yeah. Tilly's mom's running a cider booth and she's like, you just slipped something into the cider. What did you do? And he's like, I didn't. But if I did, it was a thermometer to make sure the temperature was correct. <laughs> Him ordering a hot dog was so bad. He's like, uh, how do I get the, uh, you know, a hot dog? It's like so bad. Yeah, everyone knows it's him. Yeah. Lorelai's uh, dog, Fortune Teller Booth, is all set up next to Lulu's, who is taking her thing way too seriously. They're just like throwing like mean glares at Lorelai's. I don't think it's actually Lulu in the booth. I think it's just Kirk is like, Lulu believes in tarot. Yeah, you're right. We could see one person that's not Lulu, but. She's giving the stink eye to Lorelai's dog fortune teller booth, which I think is a fun little game. Yeah. I like Lorelai's booth. He's got like a wheel of fortune kind of thing in front of him, like a pinwheel. And then like they spin it and the dog just at some point stops it with his paw and they pull out a fortune based on whatever he stopped it on. That's cute. It is cute. He's such a good boy. But the best booth, the funniest booth is Mrs. Kim's booth. It's a giant like 
hole in the ground, like pit with like fire all around it. And you just throw a beanbag in it. It's impossible to fail. Even if you miss, you win. <laughs> yeah. And what you win is a pamphlet that just tells you that you're going to go to hell. <laughs> so you got to <laughs> repent. It is super funny. I love it. I wonder if Lane believes in God. That is a good question. Because she definitely like is still humoring her mother on some of the stuff if she doesn't. Right. Lane is there working that booth, and she's working with the hot dude Zach saw earlier. Zach is obviously upset, and he gets super, like, macho with Lane's new friend when they go to Babette's ball-throwing booth. Another super funny throwaway line, Babette says that her husband couldn't be there because he drank 30 bottles of Coke the night before, so she had empty Coke bottles to throw the balls at. So he's sick, and he's not going to be there. And she didn't end up using the bottle. Yeah, she's using other bottles. Also, you wouldn't need 30. You'd need like 12. I guess they break, probably. I guess that's true. If they use Coke bottles. Zach gets like hyper aggressive and starts throwing his balls everywhere, knocking over the other guy's bottles. And he gets in the guy's face and says, welcome to SH, bitch. I love that. As much as Zach's ridiculous in this episode and all episodes recently, (laughs) welcome to the SH, bitch. (laughs) SH being Stars Hollow. Zach sucks, but that was funny. But yeah, this just shows that Zach is, uh, I just, this trope of like, I'm a jealous of a girl and I'm like, I'm crazy. Like, okay. I also love that Babette offers Lane's mystery man a prize. She's like, I got Smurfs and dirty pasta. <laughs> I'm guessing like penis pasta. Right. Zach then angrily goes over to Mrs. Kim to complain about how she's already setting Lane up with a new man. Only to find out that the new man is actually Lane's uncle. Mrs. Kim is pissed that he accused her of getting in the way of him and Lane. And she yells at him, pointedly, I would say. She says, let me make this clear. I am not going to get in your way. The tenses there are important. She didn't say, hey, I did not get in your way. She says, I will not get in your way. And she goes out of her way to say that to Zach. And I think it is very clear that she is giving Zach a message. She is saying, hey... If you pursue my daughter, I'm not going to be an obstacle for you. Yeah. Not straight up saying go for it or Lane wants it. Just like, it's not going to be my problem if it doesn't work out for you. I, I don't think that's the case. I think she's giving him an invitation to pursue her daughter. Yeah. The way she says it to me, I'm reading it not as, I'm not getting in your way. It's Lane that doesn't want you. She doesn't say that last part. She just says, I will not get in your way. She's saying, I'm not, I, I think she's telling him to go for it. Yeah. Maybe because she's seen how bummed Lane is and thinks Lane wants him back. Yeah, I think she's like, Lane is like truly upset by this and she wants to be with this man. Luke uh, shows up and asks if Lorelai would like to talk. He apologizes again for not telling her. It's kind of nice. I I like this Luke because he's like admitting he's wrong. He's like, listen, this is not an excuse, but that is my excuse. I'm sorry. He says he's bad with things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Didn't know how to tell her. He was like, I was just confused. And I feel like this is, like, a good apology. This is how apologies should be. Like, he's like, this is my excuse, but, like, there isn't an excuse. I'm sorry. Yeah. She is much more understanding now, I think, after having talked to Rory. And then she hears him mention that, you know, there's just so much happening right now. It's just, like, so much for him. With the wedding coming up and all. So she suggests, you know, they could postpone the wedding. And he's all like, oh, could we? All right, let's do that. She seems fine with the postponement. But then... Well, I mean, she brought it up and she says like, yeah, we could. Well, I think she seems fine to Luke. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we could postpone it. She brought it up thinking he wouldn't say yes. Is that what you think? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and then he's like, great. That would be give me more time with my daughter. He leaves and she doesn't look super happy. I think it's clear that she's like, well, this is that bad sign I've been looking for. I do think like he probably should like let Anna know he's engaged to a woman before yes. Yes. he commits. I, I don't know. There's no reason Anna shouldn't be fine with him being with whoever he's with as long as Lorelai's not like a strangler. You think that uh, Anna would be happier with him with a wife than with a woman, a girlfriend that might leave at any minute. Who's raised a daughter. Yeah. But I don't get why he can't continue with the wedding. Yes. Like if he had like a ton of work to do for the wedding, then maybe this is a lot on his plate. He's got to try to build a relationship with his daughter and also do other stuff. But he built the hoop a season one or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lorelai's planned everything. There's nothing for him to do. So I don't really get what this is adding to his to-do list. I agree. It's a bit dumb. I, and it just, Amy, can they just be together? Can we just have other things be the drama? Anyway, that's where the episode ends. Stacy, was this a good episode? I liked it. Yeah. I think there was a lot of great scenes. Agreed. I liked the scene with Logan and Lorelai. She yeah. told him what was up. He was humble about it. They do have a lot in common. Like they're both rebellious rich kids that hate their parents. Yeah, they don't want the future their parents want for them. Yeah. I liked the scenes with Lorelai and Luke. Although it's stupid to postpone the wedding, I don't know, I thought those scenes were like really well acted with her figuring out about the kid and them discussing yeah. it. And I feel like she reacted in a real way as like, I thought what would happen is she'd find out and be like, well, then we're done. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's what would happen. So I like the reactions. I do understand that April is, it seems like an invented problem to separate yes. Luke and Lorelai. yes. But that's what we're doing, and I think it's done pretty well. Yeah. You know, if you can get past that. I like the character of April, and I like the, the scenes that we saw around that in this episode. I like it. It's sweet Logan trying to win Rory back. We talked about this a little last time, but he obviously does love her. Why go through all this? He could have any yeah. woman. Yeah. He wants her. I mean, have you seen Rory's hair this season? She's looking good. Rory looks great. Everybody looks great. I think Logan's such a good actor, too. I love him in the scene with Lorelai. I don't know if he's a good actor. I don't know that he's a bad actor. It's, his acting hasn't impressed me. He's charming as fuck, and he's beautiful. So, like, that's enough. I, I, mean, I think that's he's supposed to be. <laughs> no, I meant, like, I don't know if his acting is what blew me away. It's just like, he's super charming, beautiful man. He could get a serving job anywhere. <laughs> yes. The stuff with Zach was stupid, but I like that Mrs. Kim is thinking about Lane and what she wants. I know we're going to redeem Zach somehow, and I'm sure I'll be on board. But right now, it's like, Zach, oh, I just fucking hate you, man. And there was just a lot of little funny lines throughout. Like, Taylor's so over the top, but all that was pretty funny. There was a lot of, it was another powerfully funny Gilmore Girl episode. I don't have a lot of fault with it. Any flaws it has were not that big as other episodes' flaws. Like, we didn't have an entire scene of Zach freaking out. Where that was like half the episode. Right. So which episode do you think was better? I mean, I think it's Gilmore Girls. I think so, too. I didn't hate Buffy. Agreed. I went in thinking this wasn't going to be a great one, and I don't know that it is, but I didn't. I think I liked it more than other bad episodes of Buffy. Yeah, I said it won me over more than I thought it would. It's just the premise that really holds it back for me. And it's depressing as fuck. Yeah. I also just thought of, like, April's introduction is almost like Dawn's introduction. She's like, oh, the main character's got a sister? That's been here the whole time? Yeah. Well, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 13, Friday Night's Alright for Fighting. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 13, Dead Things. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. 
Do you think there's anything to my thoughts about the parallels between Jason and Logan's meeting with Lorelai at the inn? Or am I crazy? Would you pay a dollar to have a doggy swami tell your fortune? Have you ever worked fast food? What's going on with time and space at this Double B Palace? How would you solve Buffy's money situation? What's going on with your ears? What do you think's in that filing cabinet? Yeah, what's in that filing cabinet? Just lists of vegetables? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. That's at Gilmore Slayer. We post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash brianandstacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode descriptions or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Well, you want to go have a big slab of chicken? Oh, yeah. You mean processed vegetable stuff with chicken fat added? Fuck yeah. This episode's a little troll too Yeah, it is. A little. Yeah. Troll 2 is an experience, guys. Someday, we're going to discuss Troll 2 with you guys. Let us know if you're fans and if there's a need for that content in your life, if you're still here. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.